Good morning. This is new to me. Normally, I'm standing in front of kids <laughs> um, in kids' church. So, <laughs> so today it's um, yeah, it's quite a privilege. The butterflies are tingling; they're flying away. Um, but yeah, we're going to do this together. The Lord's going to guide us, and. Whatever's going to be said and done here this morning, I believe it's God speaking through me. And, yeah. So, in December, on the 11th of December, Dan, um, our lead elder, he spoke about the danger of familiarity. And that was on the 11th of December. And that triggered what I'm going to say this morning. And... Mervis, on Christmas Day, for those who were here, he spoke about the wonder of God, the awe. And that's also the gist of what I'm going to share this morning. So my title is The House of Obed-Edom. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of the name Obed-Edom, but this guy is in the Bible. And... I want to focus on 2 Samuel, chapter 6, and if you can put up uh, verses 10 to 11, yeah. But let me just set the scene. The ark, you all know what's the ark of the covenant? It was this gold box that resembled the presence of the Lord, and this ark was captured by the Philistines. And they had so much grief and things happening to them that they decided to give the ark back to the Israelites. And they put it on an ox cart and they gave it back. And that ark ended up in the house of a guy by the name of Abinadab. Okay? Don't know if you've heard of him. Here in 2 Samuel... We have David coming into power and David realizing, hey, the ark is in this guy's house. That's not the place where it needs to be or where it must be. He wants to bring it into Jerusalem. So off David goes, they go to the house of Abinadab and they get the ark. They put it on, a, it's on an ox cart again. They don't know, they've forgotten how the ark needs to be treated. It's holy. It's sacred. And what happens in this chapter, as they're bringing the ark on an ox cart towards Jerusalem, there's a son of Abinadab by the name of Uzzah. He's walking alongside the ark. And guess what? The oxen, they stumble. I suppose it does something to the cart. And the and the, the ark starts to slip. It's about to fall on the ground. And Uzzah sets out his hand. And he touches the ark because he wants to prevent it from falling into the dirt. And guess what happens to Uzzah? He gets zapped. He drops down dead. Wow. When I used to read this section of what happened to Uzzah, I got scared. 
How can the God I serve just take that man's life? And it bugged me. And then we see David. Imagine, I want you guys just to imagine you there at this point where Uzzah's dropped down dead. And we all were in the procession following the, uh, the ox cart, following the ark. And he drops down dead. How would you feel? David, King David, he got angry with God. That was his first emotion. His second emotion was he got scared. And that's me. If I was part of that procession, I'd be scared. Right? Just for touching the ark, you lose your life. So what does David do? No, he stops everything. I don't want this ark going to Jerusalem. Not now. I'm scared. I'm angry. And up steps this gentleman by the name of Obed-Edom. And he says, I'll take the ark into my home, into my house. And that's where we see uh, in verses 10, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him. That's David, in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. What you guys might not know that the ark was in the house of Abinadab for at least 40 years. 40 years. This verse tells us that the ark spent three months in the house of Obed-Edom. And in that time, him and his whole household was blessed. Now you guys might be thinking, what's the big deal with this ark? Nowhere in the Bible does it mention that the house of Abinadab was blessed. So picture, we've got 40 years on the one side, no mention of a blessing. On the other side, We've got Obed-Edom, three months, and we've got blessing. So if I look at um, what could have happened, why this difference? What's the big deal? If I think of Uzzah, he grew up with the ark in his home. Where was that ark in Abinadab's house? Was it behind a locked door? Out of sight, out of mind? Was it perhaps covered with a tablecloth? And they put books, if they had books or whatever they had during that time, on top of it? If they played football, did Uzzah and his buddies kick a ball against the ark? I don't care. Because something must have happened in those 40 years that there was no blessing. 
To me, it sounds like the ark was just part of the furniture. And it begs us the question, in three months, in the house of Obed-Edom, the Bible actually mentions that he was blessed and his, house, and his whole household. So there must be something there in terms of how Obed-Edom and his household treated the ark, the presence of God, versus how Abinadab treated the ark for 40 years. So what is the difference between these two households? I'm going to take a bit of liberty here. And if I look at Obed-Edom, he actually stepped up and said, King David, I'll take the ark. It sounds to me that action was him desiring the presence of God in his house. I mean, just remember, somebody just died for touching the ark. But he was willing to have the ark in his presence, in his house. Okay? So here, for me, was a guy that understood God's holiness. Remember Uzzah, if you actually think about it, his act of trying to stop the ark was an act of arrogance. He actually thought that his hand was cleaner than the dirt. So like I said, in that household, they probably treated it as part of the furniture. As Dan mentioned in December, that danger of familiarity. Okay? But Obed-Edom, we heard on Sunday past, we long spoke about consecration. I can picture Obed-Edom and his household consecrating themselves every single day for three months. So each one of us sitting here, myself included, does our house reflect or resemble that of Abinadab? Or does our house reflect or resemble that of Obed-Edom? Now a house definition. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit naughty. <laughs> what is in a name? In the Old Testament, God identified himself as the great I am. I am who I am. He identified himself as the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. So name is important. Do you know that interesting fact? That the word house appears 1,000 807 times in the Bible, not counting the word home. 
So here you have me. My name's Alan Clark. Just picture this. I'm the house of Alan. Each one of you here, whatever your names are, that's your individual house. This physical body, who I am, this is the house of Alan, the house of Rui, the house of Virginia, the house of Austin, the house of Vernon. Think of your family. My surname is Clark. In some countries, they call us a clan, or we're a clan. My family unit is the house of Clark. And whatever your surname is, that's your house. Okay? Let's actually see. Maybe just, you know, I do this with the kids so that I don't lose you. Let's see how many families we've actually got here. This section, I'm assuming the families are sitting together. Just one family, the Engelbrechts, where are you guys? Can you stand? I know them because they're part of my community. That's a family unit. That's the house of Engelbrecht. Thank you. Any other families that want to stand? Let's just see quickly. This section. Is there any family sitting in this section? Futi and Mercy, well done. Right. Thank you. This side. Any families sitting here? There we go. Thank you. Nozzy's looking for a family. <laughs> and in this section, any families sitting here? Don't be shy. Wow. Is that one family? <laughs> OK, excellent. And guess what, guys? We one big family, Sunningdale, 8.30 a.m. We're also part of a bigger family, the House of Joshua Generation. Okay? Yeah. Louis just reminded me. And we are part of God's family, the bigger family. Now, the Bible didn't say what the blessing was that happened in Obed-Edom's house. But in today's terms, we take the liberty. Maybe all his finances got paid, paid off. His house got paid off. Maybe there were restored relationships in, in the family. Maybe some prodigals returned. If we had to be blessed in modern terms, what would that look like? But let's not go there, because that's not important. What I want to, you guys to ponder on as I speak is the why. Why was his household blessed with months? To such a degree that David heard about it, and there was a second attempt to take the ark to Jerusalem, which was successful. Because you must remember with the ark as well, I forgot this part, the reason why Uzzah was struck down, God specifically stated that only Levitical priests can carry the ark. And only 
with poles on their shoulders because there were rings pushed through the ark. It was not to be desecrated by the touch, by anybody touching it, okay? But looking at this concept of a house, I want us, I'm looking at the few, how do we get there? How do we understand what happened in Obed-Edom's house? So I've got here future state. Now, we're not going to look at the house of Joshua generation. We're not going to look at the house of Sunningdale, 8.30 a.m. We're not going to look at the house of our surname, whatever that might be. We're going to focus, each one of us here, on the individual house, the house of Alan, as an example. Get your individual house in order, then all the other definitions of house will fall into place. And for me, with Obed-Edom, there was a sense of awe a sense of wonder, a sense of respect, a sense of reverence for who God is and for who God was. The place of God in the house, it's his presence, right? The Holy Spirit must be welcome in your house. And when I say house now, I'm talking about you as the individual. But when I talk about the presence of God, we know that God is omnipresent. He's all over. But we actually want to talk about the realized presence of God. Do you know that you could be standing in the presence of God and it will just brush off your shoulder, you won't even know it? So we've got to be aware of the realized presence of God. And I do believe there was a realized presence of God in the house of Obed-Edom. We have to be seeking the presence of God. We've got to realize that as men and women, as humans, we are utterly sinful. But the God whom we serve is absolute holiness. And like I said, we need to regain a sense of wonder for God again. How do we act when we're alone? Nobody else around. Do we carry that sense of awe and wonder? How do we act when we come into church on a Sunday? Do we carry that sense, or that, um, that sense of awe and wonder? If you can just put up uh, the Joshua verse, please. 
You all know this verse where Joshua said, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. We have a choice. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Can you, as you're sitting here, each one of us, can we say that? So that's the, the target, if I can call it. How do we regain that sense of awe, that sense of wonder? And using the analogy of a house again, maybe our house needs to be fixed. So what's the current state, the focus area or areas that needs fixing in our house? The first thing we might have to do is restore our house or rebuild. That's the first point, restore or rebuild. My question is, what is the condition of the wall of protection around your house? Do you let the enemy in easily, frequently? How does your wall offer resistance to the enemy? In Nehemiah, remember they were trying to rebuild the wall that was damaged, all the wars and stuff? Nehemiah came along and built that wall, or rebuilt that wall in 52 days. I forget how long they tried to take to rebuild the wall before he came onto the scene. But they, he and the team and everyone there took 52 days. And how did they do that? They took the broken hood, the bintad hood, the damaged hood. They took the rubble, the stones that were damaged in the wars. They didn't clear it out. They reused what was there to help restore and rebuild. And that's the way our God works. You might think there's an issue in your life that can't be fixed, that can't be rebuilt, restored. God will take that if you allow him to. And he will re restore it for you. He will rebuild it for you. Because we serve a God of the second chance. Also, when they rebuilt the wall, each person had to first fix the damaged portion of that wall that was in front of their house. So check what's wrong in your house, what is damaged, what needs fixing. Once that is fixed, restored, did they go out? with their different skill sets to help the other people rebuild, restore. My question is, and that's in the bigger body, 
Are you at the point where you're still rebuilding and needing to be restored? Or are you past that point? Because if you pass that point, who, who else are you helping? Are you helping your neighbor? Are you helping your fellow brother or sister in Christ? Fifty-two days it took them. So yeah, first point, maybe you need restoration or rebuilding. And the main point here is the wall of protection around your house. Can we put up the Psalms, please? Psalms 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Are you allowing the Lord in to help you rebuild? And then Matthew, the Matthew verse, please. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We have to build on the rock. And not on the sand. Okay? Yeah, I'm coming to the second part, which is my favorite one. And why it's my favorite one? Because it's the one where I fall flat most times. Reconnect. And here, using the analogy of a house, we need to reconnect our wiring, our power. And I'm talking about prayer. We got to reconnect, if you're not connected already, to our power source. And that's God. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. We in South Africa, what's our biggest pet hate? I know what mine is. I actually even use the word hate. I hate ESCOM. Load shedding. It's a swear word. But our power source never load sheds. He's always there. He's always switched on. You know where the problem lies? With us. We practice, and I practice, pre-load shedding. I instigate a prayer load shedding schedule in my life, in my house. When things are going well at work, all the doors are opening, everything's happening, I load shed my prayer life. Because I don't need God. But the moment there's a speed bump, a speed wobble, or the wheels start to come off because we've left God out, then I want to reconnect. Then it's not time for load shedding. So how's your prayer life? Are, you, are, are your houses sitting here that needs to reconnect? Guys, I'm not trying to paint a heavy. But I am trying to bring across the holiness of our God.
is not to be toyed with. And I think sometimes, myself included, we carry on like he's our buddy. And we treat him as a buddy. Can we have a verse in Isaiah, please? These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. The key part there is house of prayer. And then Matthew, please, Matthew verse. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Nowhere in the Bible does God, does Jesus call his house a house of healing, a house of worship. But whenever God refers to his house, he refers to it as a house of prayer. So how is your prayer life? My third point. Notice I didn't tell you how many points I've got. So. <laughs> Release. Who sitting here is waiting for a miracle? Is waiting for a door, thank you, is waiting for a door to open. And you've been praying for this miracle. My question is, what is lacking in your house? How big is your faith? God can only multiply what you are willing to release back to him. Let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament, we had Moses, Moses shepherd's rod that became the rod of God. God could have used anything, but he decided to take that shepherd's staff and use that. Imagine Moses had to say, no, I'm not giving it to you, God. He had to release it. The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and everyone could have had a five-course meal that day. But there had to be a little boy who had to release his lunch. Five loaves, two fish, I think it was, before the miracle could take place. Think of Elisha and the widow. She was at the end. Elisha could have snapped his fingers and with God's power, she could have been sorted. But still, in that case, there was no welfare handout. She had to go and collect empty jars. And the miracle took place when she released the jars. And the oil only stopped flowing in filling those jars when there were no more jars to fill. So picture this. Let's assume she collected 20 jars. So 20 jars got filled. What would have happened if she collected 100 jars? 
100 jars would have got filled. I'm sure if she knew how this miracle that was about to happen was going to work, she would have sent the son into all the surrounding towns. Just bring all those jars. I can become a millionaire now. So my question is, what do you need to release in the area that you are waiting and praying for a miracle to happen? Austin came up during worship when we were singing Treasure in the Field. And when he spoke to Rui, we know the word says, Jesus gave everything. But because we know he's a treasure in the field, I give everything. And because of what Jesus has done for us, that song Austin felt was a response. When we sing it, it's actually a response from our heart to God, to Jesus. And when I heard that word response, another R, it reminded me of this part where we need to release something. Are you actually giving everything? Or is there something that you're still holding on? And then that verse in 2 Kings, please. And this is just wrapping up with Elisha. We asked the, the widow, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Something physical that could be used for the miracle to be carried out. Now, some of you might not need rebuilding or restoration. You might not need reconnection. You might not have to release anything. Maybe you need to, my fourth point, renovate your house. And some synonyms, remodel, replant, reposition yourself. A while back, Jonathan Stanfield posted on Facebook, and he said, when we position properly in God's house, then like an olive tree, we'll bear much fruit. To be a source of oil for anointing and healing and always bearing green shoots, regardless of the circumstances around us. So do you, or do we, need to renovate anything, remodel? Maybe where you are in your walk with the Lord, maybe you need to tweak it a little bit. Maybe you need to reposition yourself. You need to renovate something. You know what that is. But are you planted firmly like an olive tree? That verse in Psalms, please. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. And then Psalms, the second Psalms. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do we delight in the law of the Lord? And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which heals its fruit in season and whose leaf 
does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Do we sometimes just try and replant ourselves? Yeah, and then the next day somewhere else? We should always be planted on the rock. Does our life, does our house reflect where we are positioned? And then maybe I'm speaking to the converted. My last point. If you don't need restoration or rebuilding, if you don't need reconnection in your prayer life, if you don't need to release anything, if you don't need to renovate anything, then it's almost like you're perfect. So what do you need to do? You need to remain in the Lord. You need to be remain on planted on the rock. And that verse in Psalms, please. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. I didn't, I said to myself, I'm not going to say this, but I am going there. I'm coming into land. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to use that word. A home, a house, and especially a Christian home or house, does not develop by accident. It requires dedication. Effort, hard work, and much prayer. And for parents sitting here, it's never too early to start instilling character in your children. It's never too early to start instilling the reverence for God, the awe, the wonder for God in your kids. If we can have uh, Proverbs, verse 24, chapter 24. And I want to end my landings a little, a few more minutes with this verse. By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Think of wisdom as the cornerstone of your house. The cornerstone is the strength of the house. Do you know who's our cornerstone? Jesus is described as, as the chief cornerstone. You can find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And our security is derived from this, or our strength is derived from our security in our identity in Him.
So by wisdom, a house is built. Cornerstone, Jesus. Think of understanding. as the support beams in the house and the roof over the house. Understanding comes from the revelation of the Holy Spirit as you study God's Word. The Holy Spirit should instruct you moment by moment in terms of what you let into your house and what you keep out. Now, remember in the Old Testament, we had the ark. Wherever the ark was, there's God. But we, post-New Testament times, we don't have the ark. We have Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit. How does the presence of God enter this house? or the realized presence of God enter this house on a Sunday morning. We know God is here, the Holy Spirit's here. But the realized presence, it enters into this house when each one of us walks into this room. Because we're carrying, or we should be carrying, Him in our hearts as we enter. And this understanding bit, you know, we, we always at risk in our thought life. In terms of what we let in and what we keep out. And then think of knowledge. And that's knowledge of God and Jesus as the furnishings that add richness, beauty, and life. I like to think of, think of it as, you know, when you have a brand new house. Yes, the cornerstone is there. It's in place. The walls are in place. The B, the support beams are in place. The roof is there. But it still needs to be turned into a home. And that's the knowledge of God and Jesus. It brings the richness, the beauty, and life into the home. And as you allow your mind to be renewed through prayer, praise, worship, and study of God's Word, you grow in knowledge and you experience unspeakable joy and peace. This is the very definition of abundant and eternal life. A personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And my prayer for this year is that each one of us will get to a point where our house, our individual house, carries that pleasing aroma of Jesus. For this congregation, for this house, for Sunningdale, 8.30 a.m., can we make 2023 like the three months in Obed-Edom's house. How sad and how disappointing it will be if we stand on the 1st of January next year and we look back 
and we tick 2023 as this house, this house, and the wider house that we're part of, as just another year added onto the 40 in a Bernadette's house. 